Hello, everybody, and welcome to the She Rises Studios podcast. I am your host today, Angela Bell, and I am very excited about our guest. Mary Sarobi is a mom to two beautiful girls and married her high school sweetheart. She has her master's in counseling degree, is a registered psychologist and a certified Canadian addictions counselor. She is the CEO and owner of her private practice, Sarobi Psychology Center and Sarobi Psychology Assessments. She's passionate about working with others. Mary, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Angela. I'm so excited to be here. So could you tell our audience a little bit about your background, your journey, kind of how you came to be where you are? Yes, absolutely. So as a registered psychologist, that wasn't always my my dream of what I was going to do. I used to really want to just be a teacher. Um, and when I was in grade eight, I had a friend who, you know, when I look back, probably wasn't the best way to deal with it. But um, he unfortunately was struggling with mental health issues um, and had reached out to me one day just to to let me know that he was going to take his own life at that point. And so in grade eight, we're not really equipped with tools to deal with any of that, but we were able to talk. And so after that point, we were able to talk and he was okay and everything turned out well. Um, but at that point, that was a turning point that being able to give people a space to talk and be heard was really powerful. And that kind of opened the door for me to totally switch gears and want to work and go into psychology. Um, and so that's how I got into psychology itself. And then it's kind of grown from there over the years. Wow, that is definitely a, a turning point. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Good for you, though. Now, your focus is on helping clients break patterns and gain new perspective on life and embark on a journey of healing. Can you share with us a success story where someone was able to overcome a significant challenge and rediscover themselves with your approach? Absolutely. Uh, so a lot of my practice at this point um, is around substance use. Um, so assessments, identifying if there is a concern, supporting people to access treatment, and then on the, the end part, being able to support them with ongoing relapse prevention and recovery. And so I, I wish that there's just one story that stuck out to me, but the power of watching people connect and deal with some of that historical stuff, whether it's trauma, whether it's old behavior patterns, whether it's just things that they've learned to survive life by the tools that they've gained and being able to kind of help them see how taking those off or how they're maladaptive them has been able to change. I've had a few people where um, life was really, really bleak when I would have first come in contact with them, lost their house, lost their partners, not being able to see their family, um, really kind of in that low, low space. And again, that suicidal ideation comes up because I, I think for some people, when you're in that space, that seems to be a, a trigger point that the brain throws in there um, and being able to walk them through. And so I never take credit for, for the work that my clients have done or the changes they've made. I really do believe that they're the experts and I'm just going to walk alongside to kind of help them from falling off the edge. Um, and so I've been able to be fortunate enough and blessed to have people that I've uh, supported where I can say that they've gone to treatment and they've done the hard work and they've continue to show up every day. Um, and through the power of talking and putting in tools and strategies, they have gotten their homes back. They've gotten more successful jobs. They're with their family um, and being authentically who they were meant to be. That is that is amazing because it, it can be such a struggle for people with addiction to, you know, not only reach out for help, but then do the work. And, you know, it's so helpful to have somebody with them to, to support them along the way. Absolutely. And I love that you say that, Angela, because I do think like the hardest hurdle is 
asking for help. I run an aftercare group right now from uh, a treatment center where people come back into the area that I, I live in. Um, and so I support them. And that's one of the things like even a year later, the stigma that uh, society or the world has on people who identify having substance use concerns is really big. And so that initial stage of saying, hey, I might have a problem or my life is not going the way it is, or I can't do this by myself is such a such a powerful moment that I think that when we think of like resiliency, empowerment, um, it's hard to do, but necessary, obviously. So. Absolutely. I mean, I think one misconception a lot of people have is this idea that somehow someone in active addiction wants to be there where it's, you know, there's so much shame. There's, they don't want to be there. Like there's not a day that goes by. They don't say, hey, you know, I wish I could fix this. And then that constant stigma stops them from taking that step to say, somebody help me, because that means everybody now knows they're struggling with a problem. So I love that, you know, you provide that safe space for people to ask for help, for people to, you know, be unjudged in that in that moment that they really need to be able to make a difference. Absolutely. And like, I appreciate that too, because I think that, you know, a big part of where I'm at in uh, supporting companies as well to start to like address things and look at policies or the way that they approach their their employees, but also working with families is trying to break that stigma up in terms of no one wakes up in the morning and says, today, I want to have an alcohol use disorder or today I want to have problems with cocaine. Like it just doesn't work that way. But the rule things like we still have some old ways of thinking that, you know, somehow it's both their morals and values. And it's just really not like that. It is very much, it's a disease. And so initially when people start using, maybe there's choices in there, but when you're at a point where you're dependent on it, there's just so much in terms of how the brain changes, how it impacts who you are and what you do, that most people aren't wanting to hurt or harm anyone. Um, it's sort of just their brain is saying, hey, there's danger and we need to do this in order to feel better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Can you elaborate a bit on like strategies or methodologies you find most effective for people who are working hard to overcome a, a substance abuse issue? Sure. Um, a lot of times I think, you know, I talk to people about, so there's, there's lots of different modalities in terms of uh, motivational interviewing, which is really trying to meet each person where they're at and kind of expand and help them look and come to a determination that change is necessary for them. I use a lot of cognitive behavioral stuff, which is just really like identifying your thought patterns and how they, they move into behaviors and changing them. But a lot of times the dialogue I'm having with people is I, I truly do believe that substance use is the solution to the problem. Somewhere along the road, that became the option to cope or deal or ex escape, whatever it is. And so what I'm working people on is we need to like dig deeper and figure out what is that? What is the actual problem? What are, what do we need to deal with? And then sometimes, Angel, that will kind of determine where we go if we're looking at again, cognitive behavioral tools, or there's also like dialectical behavior theory, therapy, which is like addressing the emotion piece, because a lot of us don't have language to describe how we're feeling. It's like, I'm happy, mad, sad. Uh, and that doesn't give us an outlet and we, we can't handle the intensities on both, both sides. And so working with people to develop a language to express themselves and address that, I, I find are often, you know, those are the three main approaches I, I tend to to lean on, um, but definitely adapt to who I'm working with. 
It's more individualistic, each person. No, I like that. I like that. It's funny that you mentioned the the emotions because uh, my kids believe that mommy never gets mad. Um, and it's because mommy never said she's mad. Mommy said she's frustrated. She's irritated. She's aggravated. She's angry. She's furious. She's all of these things. They're like, are you ever mad? And I was like, well, yeah. <laughs> and I think there's a lot of other words to describe it. And I, I kind of picked it up, I think, more so that they would have a vocabulary to describe it. So they would know that there's this wide variety of emotions because like you said, and this is, this is a societal blanket, like so many people are brain, believe there's only these set emotions and they also are labeled good and bad, right? Mad is bad. Happy is good. Sad is, you know, awkward. No one wants to be around it. Um, and so when they don't have that, that vocabulary, then they don't really have a way of being like, where am I? <laughs> and where do I need to go? Oh, especially with well, sometimes being angry is a good emotion if it's better than being desolate and hopeless. And I think that that's so true in terms of it. Emotions, like, you know, I, I talk to people all the time about emotions are actually not good or bad. It's how we interpret them and what we do with them that creates which way we're going to move. And, I, you know, I think it's really um refreshing to hear you say that you're using all these words because I, I talk to people all the time you know you can you can even google it sort of a it's called like the emotion wheel and people are like how do we have so many emotions yet all of the words on there people have heard before but again we society tells us here's your tunnel and here's what you know genders women can do this and men can do this and and all of the above where we're we're kind of put into this little box that doesn't fit and and now we're learning more and more that no we have to express our emotions or understand them in order to deal with stress and cope and and manage different relationships around us so yeah so i find a lot of people i work with that's a that's an area where we have to invest a lot of time and energy into to focusing on that talk about having a more holistic approach to addressing um the challenges that clients are facing um you know looking at things such as lifestyle relationship personal growth that sort of thing how does addressing all of these different components help someone like overall? So kind of having sort of, um, you know, we kind of call it sort of like a wellness wheel is when we're over-focused in any one area of our life, we become unbalanced, like standing on one foot and trying to like figure that out. And in order for us, I use analogies all the time. Um, so I use kind of analogies of like gas tanks and stuff like that. But when our tank is empty, um, we do need to find ways to put things in. And so different areas of our life are going to give us different things. So whether we need connection, whether we need um, some spirituality, which doesn't mean religion, but it could be meditation. It could be going for a walk outside. Sometimes we need to increase sort of our mental capacity, whether that's learning, whether that's, you know, um, being able to start to identify our areas that we struggle with. Um and then physical, so like being active and getting out. And so when we're able to look at all these areas, it becomes a little bit more of a balanced space where there's a, a good flow of energy in and out. And more times than not, one or two of those areas are like almost flatlined. There, there isn't anything in that area, which is why people feel overwhelmed and burnt out. Um, because when you're always doing, and I find that a lot of, uh, some of the men, but a lot of the women I work with, this feeling of having to be perfect and be on and do all these things and then the language of but if i take care of myself i'm selfish and so i have this dialogue all the time of it's not selfish it's just self-focused 
You're focusing on yourself so you can fill your tank to be productive in all these other areas of your life. I really like that self-focused. And so now what would you say to someone who is currently struggling and wants to ask for help, but is feeling hesitant or feeling, you know, anxious about that idea? I would encourage that if you're feeling uncomfortable uncomfortable about it, I would still do it. Our brain tells us and gives us messages. We just choose to ignore it. So if in the midst of things you're thinking, okay, I need to ask for help or where can I go? There's lots of employee assistance programs. You can connect with a private psychologist. You can reach out to addiction services, which I don't, in the States, this might be a little bit different, but I'm in Canada. And so most uh, most provinces or cities do have that access. Fear allows us to stay stuck. And the reason why we get uncomfortable is because change is uncomfortable. We don't, we can't, we don't know what's coming. If I want to give up this solution to my problem, I don't know what's coming next. And so that creates a disconnect where I I just kind of almost freeze. So I always try and tell people that if you can just push through that a little bit, it doesn't mean it needs to be an all or nothing. It just means asking and starting that ball rolling, figuring out what is it that you're, you're trying to process? What are you avoiding? What are you struggling with? And starting to get tools so you can feel more pride, less shame and guilt, um, and really get the supports that you need in order to like live the life that you should. No, absolutely. Or deserve maybe is a better than should. I don't. That's that's maybe the bad language, but the the life that you deserve to to live. Yeah. No, absolutely. And what about? So what about for people who maybe know what they're avoiding? Right. I I know. You know, I've had friends and and whatnot. Like they know what pain they are masking. They know what feeling they're not feeling why they're doing what they're doing and it's sometimes the thought of having to feel that is so scary and and i love that you say that because on the outside of it the thing is is because they're aware of it they're already feeling it so they're afraid of feeling they self-medicated but they're already in the mix of it and then they're feeling even worse because they're compounding it with this behavior that's actually causing them more issues or concerns um and so i think They've already done half the work by identifying it, um, but it's being able and vulnerable to know that if you do reach out and you do talk to someone and not, and, and friends are great, don't get me wrong, friends and family, they have an invested interest into the outcome. There's not a neutral space where you can feel like I'm free to say whatever I want, good or bad, there's no judgment. I Again, analogies, which I'm, I'm really use them all the time. I say to people, when you're aware of what that is, it's like tying a chain around you in a tree and saying run and you can run for a period of time and then you're going to get kicked pulled back right back into that tree you're never going to escape that no matter how long you try to self-medicate from it and the self-medication just gets worse and worse until it does impact the rest of your life so definitely reach out ask for help start small there's you know private like um hotlines and support lines there's an addictions hotline um you know you can find a lot of that information um just kind of with a quick google where you don't need to tell them who you are but you can just start that process and mary if if people are interested in connecting with you and learning more about how you may be able to help them or what it is that you do what's the best way for them to to find more information to connect with you absolutely so there's a few options i do have a website sorobipsychology.com and so you can check that out there's lots of information on there people can message me through that 
Um, I also have a LinkedIn profile that people can uh, find me on there. It's just under Mary Sorobi. Um, and oftentimes connecting through there. There is a, a, a Facebook page that I do have for Sorobi Psychology um, that you can locate as well. But the main ones would be through either my uh, LinkedIn profile or my website. People can also just directly email me if they'd like at sorobipsychology at gmail.com. Um, and so those are probably the best ways to connect. And even if I am not this where I tell people all the time, I might not be your answer, uh, but I will help you figure out what that answer is. I love it. Amazing. Amazing. Mary, well, thank you so much for making time to talk with us today. I know, especially after, you know, the, the pandemic and everything and with the economy, so many people are struggling right now because there's just so much out there to, you know, struggle with. So I think, you know, I really appreciate you coming on and talking about this. And I, my hope is that, you know, even if just one person hears this and it helps them, that that's amazing. Awesome. Thank you so much, Angela, for having me on here. I appreciate being able to like share some of the stuff that I am very passionate about. Um, and again, I do encourage everyone, if you are struggling, even if it's not really bad, still reach out and talk to someone. And thank you everyone for tuning into today's episode of the She Rises Studios podcast. Make sure you tune in next time. Bye for now. Thank you all so much for joining another episode of She Rises Studios podcast. Please follow us online at She Rises Studios. You can also visit our website at www.sherisesstudios.com.